Welcome to Important Not Important. My name is Quinn Emmett. And I'm Brian Colbert Kennedy. And this is the podcast where we give you the tools you need to fight for a better future for everyone. And that couldn't be more pertinent than today's conversation. Uh, We give you the context straight from the smartest people on the planet and the action steps you can take to support them. Our guests are scientists, they're doctors and nurses, journalists, engineers, farmers, politicians, activists, educators, business leaders, astronauts, reverends, even a reverend. Uh, And this is your friendly reminder that you can send questions, thoughts, and feedback to us on Twitter at importantnotimp, or you can email us at funtalk at importantnotimportant.com. And you can join the tens of thousands of other smart people and subscribe to our free weekly newsletter at importantnotimportant.com. Mm-hmm. And that's the newsletter that was nominated for the best newsletter, Webby, uh, and we lost to who? Malala. Malala. So hanging that on the wall for damn sure. That's almost better than winning. Hey, Brian, on this week's episode, mm. uh, we've asked, why is drinking water so unaffordable for so many Americans? It seems ridiculous. Unaffordable and or just unavailable. Or just dirty. Or just filthy. Uh-huh. And we talked to some wonderful people about this infuriating yep. question. Who were they? Yep. Yep. Uh, they are journalist uh, Nina Lacani from The Guardian and Mary Grant uh, from Food and Water Watch. And it seems like, boy, uh, do, have they bottled up their their empathy and their anger for good. And um, it fits right in with our tone and our uh, our ethos here, I think. Couldn't agree more. One has been working for basically ever on getting people clean water. The other has been in this country for 10 months and is already just blown away by the amount Hugely of people regretting that don't, her decisions. Immediate oh, yes, regret. Yes, yeah, that too. Yeah, that too. That too. Anyways, uh, please enjoy uh, this conversation with uh, Nina and, and Mary and uh, excited for you to help us take some action here at the end. Stick around to the end. Thanks, everybody. Let's listen. Our guests today are Nina Lacani and Mary Grant. And together, we're going to find out why so many Americans can't afford drinking water, uh, which is interestingly the one thing that every human being needs to survive. Uh, Nina and Mary, welcome. Hello. Hi. Thank you for having me. For sure. Thank you guys for coming on. So pleased that you're here. We're grateful. Uh, Let's start off by uh, just giving our listeners a a quick little who you are and what you do. Um, Nina, if you'd like to start. Sure. Um, I am a British journalist based in New York. I'm the environmental justice reporter for Guardian US. Um, basically interested in um, who has access and who doesn't have access to clean air, running water, um, land, green spaces, that sort of stuff. You know, the sounds- essentials. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Things that are necessary. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you for joining us. Uh, Mary, what's your story? So I'm the Public Water for All campaign director at Food and Water Watch. Um, We're a national nonprofit environmental organization in the United States. And the heart of what we do is grassroots organizing. We mobilize regular people to build political power, to move the bold and uncompromised solutions to our most pressing food, water, and climate problems of our time. Once again, sounds like a couple slackers, Brian. Bam. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Who are these? <laughs> we got to aim higher. Um, Incredible. Thank you awesome. so much. Awesome introductions. Um, and then quick reminder to everybody, our goal here is to provide some quick context for our uh, topic today, and then we'll dig into uh, uh, action-oriented questions and actions that everybody out there can take to, 
to uh, help uh, uh, fight and support uh, uh, alongside you guys. So the people have water, which seems like an insane thing to have to ask it's for, just but water. that's where we are. Um, awesome. Uh, so uh, Nina and Mary, we do like to start with one important question that we ask everyone to set the tone uh, for this fiasco. Uh, so instead of saying, tell us your entire life story, uh, we like to ask, why are you vital to the survival of the species? And whoever would like to go first, by all means, jump in. Oh, Mary, you go first. I have no idea. It's true. Am, am I ne vital? I don't think I'm <laughs> Nina, you did answer the harder question, which was like, what's my name and title earlier? Yeah, yeah. So I feel like it's only appropriate that Mary steps up for this one. Uh, <laughs> and Mary, uh, be bold, be honest. You are here for a reason. Sure. So water is just, it's a necessity for life. Everyone, every person, every living thing needs water. And the heart of like what I care about, what I'm mobilized and energized to work on is to make sure people have access to water, that we're protecting our water supplies for the future of the planet and for people. Um, everyone needs water. It's just a basic human right. It's a matter of justice. And so I think it's not just me. It's um, me being able to work with people, being able to work with our organizers, our communication team, great journalists like Nina to get the stories out there so that we can protect our water supplies and make sure people have access to it in their homes. I mean, again, yes. it sounds like you could See? aim higher. But Vital. Thank you. Uh, Nina, what's your, what's your story? Okay, so I've only been living in the US for 10 months. Um, and before moving here, I was um, I was a reporter covering Central America and Mexico. Um, I've worked in lots of countries, um, working with communities who have, you know, few resources and don't have access to these basic fundamental things like clean running water. I did not expect to find the same in America. I mean, this is supposedly the richest country in the world. It's supposedly, you know, the bastion of Western civilization. And yet there are millions and millions of ordinary Americans that in 2020 do not have access to clean, running, affordable water. That is wild. I mean, and it's completely unacceptable and it's not normal. I mean, I feel like it's become normalized in this country, you know, for poor people to be and um, poor people and people of color and Native Americans to be punished just for who they are, um, you know, and to and not have access to these basic services and even things like clean air and adequate food, etc. But it isn't normal. It, and really, you know, um, America cannot claim to be this sort of bastion of you know, civilization and democracy and, you know, and the richest country in the world and have people during the pandemic not having running water to wash their hands with. I mean, that's mm -hmm. crazy. So I've, you, sh you picked a really interesting time to show up. Yeah, welcome. <laughs> I mean, to be clear, we've had a, a lot of not like gr not great moments or, over the years. Uh, but boy, what a 10 month stretch to be here. So I feel like you could probably sue for false advertising. <laughs> Um, <laughs> well, the funny the funny thing is that I you know I'd been like I'd just written a book about Honduras. Mm -hmm. I spent seven years working in really quite difficult like mm -hmm. regions, and this was meant to be my break. Yeah, I was like, I'm like, real this was, sorry. Like, be my pause of like you know taking it easy a bit, but yeah, it didn't quite work like that. <sighs> Fine. Yeah, sorry. I mean, <laughs> Jesus. Well, thank you. I, I appreciate uh, the time you've spent on this and 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 the effort you've clearly put into it. And um, I'm excited to dig into those things and and uh, 
so so people can really understand because I I think one of the biggest I mean clearly it's been it's been uh, you know verified a thousand different ways one of the biggest issues in the U.S. right now uh, are the major disconnects uh, among among its peoples uh, whether they're designed that way or not so let's just establish a little bit of context uh, I just want to talk just for a moment about uh, water and uh, America and then we'll dig into this so forgetting politics and justice and demographics, a human being can go uh, three to four days without water. That's just physiology, right? Uh, biology, all of the allergies. Uh, there are 331-ish, uh, I think, Americans uh, that need that water, again, about every three or four days, or they will die. Uh, you wouldn't believe that many people would prefer to have drinking water more often than every three or four days, uh, and they would prefer to for it to be you know, clean uh, and not make them sick. It seems crazy. Again, we seem to be having some issues with this. So on a regular day, but especially during these times, uh, during COVID, clean potable water is is also necessary for uh, washing hands. Uh, the problem is, as Nina has hinted at here, uh, and Mary has worked her entire life on, um, that water, potable drinking water, uh, water you can wash yourself with, clean yourself with, has become much more unaffordable for a variety of reasons uh, and for millions uh, of Americans. So um, there's a study, and, and Nina and Mary, please correct me if I if I butcher this in some way, out of the University of California, Irvine, um, and it claims that in any given year from 1982 to 2015, somewhere between 9 and 45 million Americans got their drinking water from a source that was in violation of the Safe Drinking Water Act. So that's something like 2 to 13% of Americans-ish. To be fair, that means that 98 to 87% of Americans have access to drinking water that isn't in violation of the Safe Drinking Water Act, which is, you know, pretty decent on a relative global scale. But uh, as, as Nina mentioned, we, 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 uh, we tend to try to hold ourselves to a higher standard here, or we used to, or we say it, but we don't. And uh, the problem is, is, and this is a running theme here, and we have, we have spent more focus on this as, as we go, is that in America, of course, the places where this issue is recurring, that it is not safe, that it is not affordable, is that low-income areas are generally harder hit. Uh, black and brown people are generally harder hit. Or those closer to petrochemical refineries, uh, like so much of Texas and now Pennsylvania, right? Um, we are very much a, uh, we're, we're not this bastion. We are not the, 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 um, the city on the hill. We are a racist country, right? We have a very poorly defined measure of poverty with basically no safety net unless you're white. Um, but if you are white, it seems like you can have that water. You can afford it. You can drink it. You can vote. You can hold office. You can run a company, uh, with impunity. So despite centuries of slavery and institutionalized racism of, of, poisoning air and water and food in the name of capitalism and, I guess, liberty, uh, of refusing to pick our own foods or work in the meat plants that provide the meats that we can't stop eating, uh, that destroy our farmlands and our water, despite all of these legitimate marks against, uh, you know, white people that look like me, that look like Brian, we continue to hold power and thus are able to make the most valuable resource to humanity either tainted and or unaffordable. So white supremacy is win winning again. Uh, it is a system that is pretty much unrivaled in history, and it is affecting every portion of our society. And today, I want to talk about how it's affecting our drinking water. 
and why America's drinking water has become so unaffordable uh, for so many. Mary, if you don't mind, uh, you have been working on uh, water rights for a long time. Um, is there a specific relationship you can point to that was a catalyst uh, for why you are who you are today and what you're working on? Sure. Um, when I was in college, I actually worked for an environmental justice organization um, in North Carolina. And one of the things we did is um, looked at water access in North Carolina. And I went out to a community, a Latinx community on um, recent immigrants who had almost every household in that community was shut off from water service when their water system was privatized to a large wa water company. And so that's really where I, when I decided that I wanted to work on water access issues in the United States, <laughs> I wanted to make sure that we make sure that people have access to running water in this country. And you're right, it's absolutely an, uh, a racial justice issue. We know that not only are Black and Indigenous, Brown communities disproportionately more likely to have unsafe water, they're also more likely to be shut off from water service um, when they cannot afford to pay their bills. They also can more likely to face some of these more punitive measures um, of collections. It's punishing people, like Nina was saying, for being poor, simply for being poor. You lose water service, you're cut off from essential service. You're also, you could lose your home um, through tax sale if you can't afford your water bill. There's all the broader, bigger implications too. When you don't have running water in your home, um, child services could come, social services, they could take your children away. People in Detroit are really scared when their water service is shut off of losing their children. Um, and it's heartbreaking and um, it's really causing trauma across the U.S. that people are losing water service, that they're unable to afford their water bills. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah, I mean, I feel like the the motto today is like, this is insane. I mean, it, it's it's like the things we, we you know, what the mantra would make America great again. It's like, we're so far from, I mean, forget great. Like we're nowhere near neutral. Like people don't have water, like forget healthcare. Like we people don't have water. That's, that's, it's, it's crazy. Nina, you're just massive investigation with the Guardian uh, really opened this up for, for so many people and the general public. What, prompted you to take this on uh, besides wanting to come to New York for a vacation uh, after <laughs> after so many years uh, covering Central America, which Am Americans are so happy to, to look down their noses at? Yeah, I mean, I sort of have got, you know, slightly unhealthy uh, obsession with water, like Mary, <laughs> you know, I mean, I, I think in, in all its aspects, you know, I've done a lot of reporting on you know, the impact of internationally funded sort of hydroelectric dams, for example. And one of the last, you know, one, and we, you know which have devastating effect for um, access to water for often rural and indigenous communities. Um, and the, one of the last series that I did before moving here was looking at the, you know, impact of the climate crisis on water shortages in Guatemala, Honduras and El Salvador and how that this was, you know, how that this is forcing people to flee these countries um, because they're starving, because they don't have, you know, there's drought and they can't access clean water, etc. So it was something that I was already really interested in. And sort of when I arrived here, just thinking about, you know, projects that I wanted to get my teeth into. I mean, obviously, there has been scandals like Flint and Newark, among many others, you know, um, regarding sort of unsafe, toxic water in the US, mm -hmm. you know, but then I just realised just seeing some anecdotal um, reports, seeing some academic papers that water poverty, you know, people just not being able to afford to pay their bills and the punitive measures being used um, that Mary just described. So having your water shut off 
because you cannot pay your bill or or even visclusive in your house in a tax sale. People were, you know, people were increasingly reporting over the last decade. So that's really what got me into it. I mean, you, I mean, honestly, there are so many things in terms of America's water crisis that you could, I could have really got my teeth into. I mean, an estimated two, two and a half million Americans, including, um, including in Puerto Rico, do not have indoor plumbing, you know? Mm-hmm. And so they don't have running water. They don't have flushing toilets. And Native Americans are so much more, like, affected by this than, um, you know, um, other, other, po- other populations. Um, and if you're just bringing it back to the coronavirus pandemic, you know, for, for weeks, if not months, the Navajo Nation had the highest per capita rate of coronavirus and the highest coronavirus deaths. Well, on the, on the Navajo Nation, a third of people do not have indoor plumbing. They do not have running water. That's not even getting to affordability. That's just actually having pipe taps right. in your houses. Sure. I mean, and it's like, so there's, you know, so so that that's a starting point. And then when I started to think about affordability, I mean, I think it's really, I think the advantage I have and the Guardian has sometimes in terms of being foreigners, you know, we come to this as with fresh mm. eyes. You know, we're shocked by the shocking and we're sort of, you know, like astounded by the extraordinary. And I think that's a good thing about being, you know, bringing an international perspective to to, to any story, really, is that, you know, that um, in other developing countries, in all other developed countries, sorry, industrialised countries, this doesn't happen. You know, like this, you know, first of all, we have far less complex water systems. Like in the US, there are thousands and thousands and thousands of water systems. And yet there is no national watchdog. There's no regulator that's tracking things like, you know, we have the EPA that's sort of there to track quality, but there's no watchdog tracking service. There's no watchdog tracking um, tracking, um, punitive measures, Mm -hmm. shutoffs. We don't know exactly how many people are shut off, what happens to them, how many people don't have water because of poverty. Um, 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 so we don't. And, you know, we so we and we have those type of regulators in Europe um, and, and in other parts of the world. And shut offs are not permitted. Mm-hmm. You know, it is not because well, it's a cruel thing to, shut to do. Off a person's water. It's so cruel. And I think it's intentionally cruel. Yeah. I think it's intentionally. That's what we cruel. do you know, here. I think that. Yeah, and I think that I've, I've spoken, you know, places like Philadelphia, Cleveland, you know, where, actually, you know, you have water departments saying, well, they just need to pay their bill. I mean, they should just pay the bill. It's like, okay, well, just because you keep putting up the price of water, which, I, you know, we'll come to, I'm sure, in terms of the price of water increasing exponentially over the last decade across the country, just because you keep putting up the price... If, they, if a person can't pay it, they can't pay it. If they're choosing every month, you know, they've got a limited income and they've got to pay their rent, medical bills, um, you know, stuff for mm-hmm. school for their kids, food, all of this basic stuff, and then water you add to the equation, they are faced with impossible choices every month. It's these impossible trade-offs. And water, our investigation shows, and Mary's work at Food and Water Watch shows as well, is that, in the last decade, has become one of those important mm-hmm. choices that a growing number of ordinary Americans, mm-hmm. so these aren't just Americans who are on disability benefits, who aren't able to work for different reasons. We're in, this includes working Americans are not able to afford their water it's, bills. And that, you know, is just that can't it's, be right. it's one thing to tell people, like, it's a, 
it's a it's a direct TV bill. Like, just pay your bill. That's that that's called an elective thing. But you know, when you when you talk about people having their water turned off and 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 uh, utilities or private companies or whoever it might be saying, well, they should just pay their bill. It it reminds me of and and I, I don't use it lightly, but it, it's 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 so it's so vital and so so clarifying that uh, Martin Luther King quote um, that I just looked up because I didn't want to mangle it, where he said. It's all right to tell a man to lift himself by his own bootstraps, but it's cruel jest to say to a bootless man that he ought to lift himself up by his own bootstraps, which is if, if it's, it's, we're talking about water, you know, it's, it's, um, it's, it's not some elective thing. It's just, it's incredible. And, and Nina, if I could just for, for one more moment, it, you seem to come to this. I mean, I'm sure, I'm sure you both do. And anyone who does this, you have to come to this from a, a real place uh, uh, of empathy. Um, and I believe you were once a, uh, a mental health nurse. Is that correct? Can, I was. can you talk a little bit about how maybe water insecurity affects, uh, mental health? Because that is another thing that America is having a very, very difficult time with. Sure. I mean, I think that losing your water, the threat of losing water and also losing your house because of, because you can't afford to pay is hugely stressful, it's anxiety-provoking, and in the end, it's traumatic, you know? Um, and, and this is happening disproportionately in communities where there are already multiple layers of trauma, you know, traumas of racism, tra- traumas of stigma, traumas of, you know, um, poverty. All of this is piling on, you know? So you have highly traumatised communities and people, and this is another thing. It's incredibly anxiety-provoking, you know? I've Anyone that's been in a situation where you're not sure if you're going to be able to pay next month's rent, and millions of Americans have been in that position or and will be in that position, you know, um, during as the pandemic continues, not being able to, not being sure where um, if you're going to be able to have enough food to, for your kids, you know, not being sure if you're going to have the bus fare that you need um, to be able to get to a cooling centre when it's 110 degrees mm-hmm. outside and you can't afford air conditioning yourself. All of these things are stressful, they're anxiety-provoking, you know, and they are traumatic, sure. you know, and there's a cumulative effect on people's lives, you know. Um, in one of the stories that I did as part of this investigation, um, you know, I interviewed a man called Albert Pickett in Cleveland who just turned 60 and... Um, Mr. Pickett, water was turned off in 2013, and he's not had water since. I'm sorry, what? when did he have it turned off? 2013. Uh, like, how is that okay? And and he he moved it. So he moved back into the family home where he had grown up after his mother died, and his mother had had Alzheimer's and has had got behind. <sighs> All her bills, her water bill, her property taxes, you know, everything. Because she had Alzheimer's, right? I mean, hello, sure. you know, I mean, that's what happened. And when he moved in and there was he, he inherited the debt and he tried to negotiate with the Cleveland Water Department to get onto a payment plan, but he never had the several hundred dollars required as a down payment on a deposit. So rather than the water department saying, okay, well, look, you can't, you want to, you want to pay it back, but you can't pay the deposit. Let's work it out. They, they simply shut, they simply shut off his water. And, you know, and that has honestly had this domino effect on his life. It has ruined his life. And, you know, as he said to me, it took, this took away my dignity. Mm. It took away who I was as a person. I mean, he used to look after his grandkids before that. 
obviously they couldn't come anymore because how can you have little kids in the house when you haven't got water, when you haven't got a toilet, you know, when you can't, you know, all those basic things. It sort of forced him to borrow tank or buckets of water from neighbours' houses in order to flush the toilet, go to people's houses to shower, buy bottled water to drink and to cook with and to take his medication. Mm-hmm. And then, so, you know, it's the impact on his mental health, on his self-esteem has just been devastating. Sure. And, you know, and then this man is, you know, has a stroke, a severe stroke, ends up in a nursing facility, comes out of hospital, comes out of this facility. And shortly afterwards, there's a fire, a small fire in his house that he he would have been able to put out. It was just, you know, like a cigarette or something smouldering on the carpet. And he couldn't because he didn't have any water. His whole house burnt down before the fire service arrived. I mean, I went there to meet him in Cleveland. And honestly, I, 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 like I said, I've interviewed a lot of people in a lot of desperate situations. But this was shocking. You know, the whole of the front of this house was a yeah. shell. You know, and there's this man, 60. It's freezing cold. It'd been snowing in Cleveland. This was like February. Walking with a walking frame because of his stroke. Completely unstable. Um, with like, like a light jacket and tennis shoes on because all his clothes had burnt in the fire and he's been sleeping on sofas and in his car and you're just like the cruelty of yeah. that is just like mind-blowing you know like really mind-blowing well, we are a um seemingly more and more a, a a a cruel country um in a lot of ways uh thank you for sharing all that um i'm just over here trying not to throw things across the room <sighs> yeah so let's let's try to get i guess into the nuts and bolts of of, of this so that people can understand why why this is happening. Mary, did, when did the federal government start to, you know, wiggle their way out of, of the responsibility to, to provide affordable drinking water to, to Americans? Was it, was it a one-time decision or a gradual erosion? Sure. So the federal government really did used to commit to providing safe water for all. It was back in the 1970s when federal funding for water systems peaked. 1977, federal funding peaked for our water infrastructure. And since Mm. then, it's been declining. There was a big drop under the Reagan administration where they took away a construction grant program for our wastewater systems and replaced it with a loan program. Um, And it um, reached historic lows under the George W. Bush administration. Um, There was a big uptick with the Obama administration and the stimulus. Um, And then it fell again. (laughs) And then it's been pretty flat since then. So there, um, we've, since 1977, federal funding for our water infrastructure has fallen by 77% in real terms. So the federal funding isn't there. I mean, also costs are going up. Our water systems that were built with those federal dollars are now aging. They're reaching the end of their useful lives. We're also learning more about the contaminants in our water. Like we need to remove all these lead pipes. No one should have a lead service line today. We need to remove lead pipes. We need to address these new emerging toxic chemicals from industrial pollutants, like um, PFAS contamination, these forever chemicals. They stay around forever and they're in our water and we need new treatment systems to remove them from our water. So the costs are going up to address emerging contaminants, um, removing more and more of these industrial pollutants from our water. And at the same time, our climate is changing. I mean, climate change is going to have a devastating effect on our water systems. If you're a coastal, it's going to inundate your water systems, flood it. You're going to have to move your wastewater treatment plants. That's a massive expense. So nationally, our water systems need to spend at least $35 billion each year, 
each year just to comply with existing federal standards. That's not to prepare for climate change or to address um, other issues. It's just the existing federal standards, $35 billion a year. So there's this massive need and the federal funding isn't there anymore. So what's happening is that localities are having to make these investments on their own. And how they do that is by raising rates on people. There's been a huge push Um, It began in the 90s about full-cost pricing of water service, not using tax dollars to subsidize water. And so the full cost of water service is reflected in water bills. And water bills are one of the most regressive bills you pay. They're disproportionately low-income households pay more of their income on water service than they do on um, like taxes or any other type of um, revenue-raising vehicle. So it's just a really regressive way to raise money and it's hurting and hitting poor people and working families the hardest. And they're seeing their water bills go up dramatically. Um, Nina's investigation provided some really shocking details about um, some of the largest cities in the country, but we're seeing it across the board, water rates going up to a level that people just simply can't afford to pay. I live in Baltimore and water rates have gone up since 2000 by about 10% a year for like the last two decades. 10% a year? A year. Let me tell you, wages Whoa. are not going up by 10% a year. So <laughs> no. <laughs> no. Or, like, it's just the price of water is colliding with households' ability to pay. We just, more and more people simply cannot afford to pay their water bills. A Michigan State University study found that at least 12% of households across the country couldn't pay several years ago. And they found that by this year, as many as one in three households could struggle to pay their water bill. And it's because it's becoming so unaffordable. Costs are going up. Federal support isn't there. And the bills are just beyond people's means. And then we have a pandemic on top of it. This is even before the pandemic. And then to Mm -hmm. add a global pandemic, economic devastation, millions of people out of work or lost wages. It's just like a real crisis now. Right. So 35 billion, uh, just, just to, let's just say day to day. And, and that doesn't include everything that's backdated, antiquated, all of the newer chemicals, uh, devised and implemented, uh, since 1977 or, uh, what is the word again? Oh, climate change. Right. Um, so that doesn't include those things. So, uh, all right. So, so what, what I would like to do, cause I, I, we, we, we try to, boil this thing down, uh, uh, these things as much as possible down to, you know, systems thinking and, and, uh, and first principles. So we have these super antiquated water systems. We have climate change. We have industrial agriculture, right? Drawing down so much water, for example, in the Southwest. Again, uh, Brian and I are usually both in Los Angeles, which is just straight up going to run out of water at some point. Colorado rivers, whatever, half as high as it used to be. Um, And you got states just fighting over it every three months. So if we're looking at this from, say, a capitalist uh, perspective, right, it would make sense that water is becoming more expensive, right? There's more and more uh, toxic chemicals in our environment. So not only do filtration systems need to be very good, these systems need massive repairs which cost money. And uh, of course, uh, in the system we've devised, the revenue, of course, comes from customers, whether they can pay it in art. But also the product, uh, as we've described, Colorado River, uh, snowpacks, et cetera, et cetera, the product's becoming uh, more scarce, which usually in a marketplace uh, makes the price a little higher. Again, trying to look at these things so-called objectively. But again, it is the the one thing that every human needs. Uh, So there's that too. And there's the fact that 
this would be a different conversation, like so many things in this country, if it was affecting everyone equally. And it's and it's not. And to be clear, that is most likely by design. Are, are all of these things, is this why the federal governments, I mean, this is what we talk about with climate change, which is it's so great that these states have these packs and we've got these regional things and, and California makes their own decisions and sometimes people jump onto it. But the federal government's necessary, right? Because of the pure cold, hard cat, the volume of cash that is required, right? I mean, nobody has the kind of money that they do to do what is necessary. And I guess, is is are, are these things, are all of these pieces, is that why they are so necessary? And, and, and states and cities and localities haven't been able to keep up with this in the long term? Am I thinking about this clearly? I just want to say that the money's there. I mean, we support a bill called the Water Act, the Water Affordability, Transparency, Equity, and Reliability Act. It's in Congress right now. It has more than 85 co-sponsors in the House. This bill would just simply roll back the Trump administration's corporate income tax cuts by a little bit, just a tiny rollback of it. Mm-hmm. Increase the corporate income tax rate by 3.5 percentage points, tiny rollback of the corporate up tax cuts under the Trump administration, and you would fully fund our water and sewer systems across the country, you would meet that $35 billion a year need to make sure that people have access to safe and affordable water. The The problem isn't the money. The problem is political will. Sure, <laughs> sure, sure. But I just, I'm just yeah. trying to like figure out where the holes are, what the scope of this mm-hmm. thing is. And so when people, because there are certain things where you go like, oh, you know, states have done some things and we always push like local action because for instance, for clean energy, like that's where the jobs are going to be or climate change, like it's the water you're drinking or the air you're breathing. But, you know, there there is always a gaping hole when the federal government's not involved when massive mountains need to be moved. Um, so let's, let's talk about the Water Act then. Um, what is it? What is the scope of this thing? Uh, who is who wrote it? Who's supporting it? Et cetera, et cetera. Sure. So the bill is introduced in the House by Representative Brenda Lawrence from Michigan, and in the Senate by Senator Sanders. It's HR fourteen seventeen S six eleven, the Water Affordability, Transparency, Equity, and Reliability Act. Um, it's the third um, the third Congress that's been introduced, in, and each time it's reintroduced, it's growing every year. So it's it's a funding bill. It's about funding our water systems to take the burden off of households, to take the burden off of struggling cities and localities. It would restore that federal commitment to safe water by providing $35 billion a year to a trust fund. So this is money that can be diverted. It doesn't need further appropriations. There's not that budget battle that we see every year just to get every nickel and dime from the federal government. It would create a trust fund to say water is not its a, a, not a partisan issue. We're just going to fully fund our water systems, take it out of this um, these budget battles, these political battles in Congress, and create a trust fund by rolling back those corporate income tax cuts to make corporations pay their fair share. A lot of our water problems are, are, are happening because of industrial pollution. Um, so mm-hmm. to restore that federal government commitment, roll back a little bit of the Trump administration's corporate tax cuts, take that money and dedicate it to making sure that people have access to safe water. It, to, uh, to us, it seems really common sense. Like, of course, <laughs> we should be restoring yep. that federal government commitment. And to make sure that people have access to water, they can turn on the tap, everyone can turn on the tap and have safe water flowing and be able to have, you know, safe communities and clean waterways. And the, and the, and the Act has, has some provision to help people on low-income communities, low-income people with affordability, is that mm-hmm. right, Mary, yeah. as well? Yeah, and so I think that's an important point because for years now there has been federal funding to help um, yeah, that states can apply for, you know, to help um, low-income residents 
with their energy bills and with their community telecoms bills. You know, th- those have been recognised as essential services, mm-hmm. but there isn't anything similar for water. And I do think part of the reason is that water affordability wasn't really an issue maybe 10 years ago. Do you know what I mean? Like until about 10 years ago. So I do think it's sort of an emerging poverty like factor, you know, issue. Um, but, you know, there, there, there is federal um, um, money and federal help for these other services. Um, and I think just like, you know, um, just to add to what Mary was saying, I mean, regarding political will, in the same way, if there was a real commitment to making, um, to, to tackling inequalities in education, and I mean that in standards and infrastructure, etc., you would have federal money for that. You wouldn't leave it up to localities, to states and to, you know, districts um, and cities to pay for schools, but pay for education, right? You only do that if you, I mean, if you're really serious about tackling inequalities that, you know, that that have long-term lasting effects on kids and their potential and so forth and, and on families, then you wouldn't then you wouldn't have funding set up like that. But I think sort of the the, the way of thinking in the state here is designed. See, at least it's, it has been for the last few decades, really, you know, to, to serve the interests of those the haves and not the have nots. Sure. You know, and I think it's it's you know the system is set up and designed to um, maintain the status quo. And to, you know, and to exacerbate these inequalities rather than to tackle them. And water is just another example of that, you know. Um, and so I think that, but I think with water, it's that there are there are so many challenges and without federal oversight, without federal dollars, without federal sort of, uh, you know, um, input, there isn't a way to resolve this. There isn't a way to mm-hmm. resolve it. You know, I, I don't see mm-hmm. it. You know, there are 55,000 community water systems in the U.S., <laughs> And on top of that, you know, like 40 million plus Americans get their water from private wells, which are completely unregulated, completely unregulated, right? And so without, you know, a federal system, in the same way, while we can take individual steps, right, to, to tackle the climate crisis, we cannot tackle the climate crisis and global heating as individuals, no, it has to be no. a coordinated global response, right. which is why the US withdrawing from the Paris Treaty um, Agreement is just devastating for the globe, right. right? And, you know, there are things that, yeah, we can do as individuals, but there has to be federal input because right now, what individuals and families in Detroit are being punished and thousands of people in Detroit have had their water mm. shut off. Many corporations, many businesses, polluting businesses have got debt, outstanding bills that are not being collected, you know, that is like the most perverse aspects of this, of capitalism in a neoliberal model, right? right? And so that is, it is not working. It's not working for ordinary people. It's not working for the planet. Uh, And again, it's just, I mean, the the parallels to so many other situations, which again, like you're looking at this in a systems point of view, like these things are all connected in so many ways. And the fact that each of these levers pulls on one another, but also, you know, again, this system was designed this way and is, and is working excellently, which, which is, which is again, from, 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 from jobs to food insecurity, uh, whether because of affordability or because uh, food deserts, 
uh, again, your your air and your water because you're forced to live uh, near a highway or near, if you're in Los Angeles, you live near one of our 3,000 oil wells. Um, you know, it just goes on and on. And again, it's, it's, it's the same people and it's the federal government abdicating uh, purposefully uh, the responsibility to to take care of its citizens. Well, can I just add Please. something? I mean, I just think that, you know, I really didn't, I mean, I'm probably naive not to have really realised this until I was working in Mexico and Central America, you know, and um, because it's the same everywhere that politicians are elected officials to me, and in, including in the US, are really the second tier of power they are governing, they govern to serve the interests of the economic mm-hmm. powers, the economic elites, these conglomerates and multinationals, those, you know, um, those that control the money, you know, and they do that by, you know, campaigning to have tax breaks, to deregulate, and to, to not pay their fair share. Do you know what I mean? And I'm talking from everyone to fossil from fossil fuel companies to Pepsi and Coke, you know, who are using our, you know, resource, our water resource to bottle and sell to us in plastic sure. bottles, you know, Amazon, they, all of the, you know, they are the ones that govern the world. You know, the elected officials are there governing on their behalf, you know, and you can see that through campaign financing, through lobbying, etc. Um, and I think that is what neoliberalism is, you know. Sure. Um, that is, and it's quite sad. These aren't politicians. It's not all ideology. Some of it might be, but in the end, it, the, the project that these groups share is making money. Sure. Sure. And and, and that's just never been, I mean, if it was a question before, uh, it's never been more clear than when you see these, uh, these dueling headlines on the front page of your, your New York times, your Apple news or your Twitter or whatever that says that, you know, a hundred million Americans aren't going to be able to pay uh, rent in eight days. Uh, and the stock market's peaking and you go like, Oh, 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 it's, it's just got it. Got it. It's, it's working for, it's working in, I mean, just, truly incredibly well for some people and just not at all, literally not at all for everyone else. And again, like it's like, um, you know, they say, uh, I'm sure this doesn't hold up, but it's like, uh, money reveals who you are. Right. And, and, um, uh, turns out a, a pandemic just reveals the, 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 the cracks in the, in the facade. Right. Um, and, and shows you, it, it takes off all the, if you're looking at a motor, uh, and you pull off the fancy cover and you look underneath and you, you you can either look at a motor that's working exceptionally well, which ours is in, in some ways um, for the people who designed it and and for everyone else, you just go, oh, oh my God, it's, it's, it's leaking everywhere. Can I ask what seems like a simple question just to take it, take it back down to ground level? Why, why is it so hard to turn water back on? And, you know, with COVID, it's become clear that this is an issue. People are literally stuck inside their homes and it's their water source for drinking and cooking and washing their hands. Or uh, like you mentioned, Nina, maybe making sure that their house doesn't uh, burn down. What's so hard? Is it, is it logistical? Um, I can, I can um, I, um, I'll, I'll have a go at that. I mean, I think partly, I mean, I think there's multiple things. Um, some cities or towns or water departments don't have good records on who they've turned off and who okay. they haven't. You know, they got, you know, they, you know, Philadelphia d- d- did. So, for example, it, when, 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 you know, many, many, um, like, I think 55% or something of public water utilities um, or, 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 yeah, um, 
issued or announced moratoriums on shutoffs, right, at some point during the pandemic. And some of those about, you know, a small proportion of those committed to reconnecting people. Now, Philadelphia was a really good example in that they proactively went out and reconnected, I think, almost 9,000 households. Hmm. Imagine that 9,000 households just in the city yeah. of Philadelphia didn't have water at that point. <laughs> that sort of blows my mind. Mm-hmm. Um, so they did that. New Orleans, on the other hand, which um, from Food and Water Watch, Mary's organization's research we know is one of the worst cities when it comes to t- shutting off um, people. Like almost one in five households are shut off at some point in a year's wow. year. In in the same period of time, in four months, so I last asked them, some, I think at the end of May or maybe the beginning of June, maybe maybe beginning of June, they had only managed to reconnect a hundred, less than 200 households. Wow. Less than 200. Oh. Now, I mean, that is not does not reflect the need at all. You know, so I think there's in terms of actually how, how well set up um, water departments, how organised, what their records are like, but it is, you know, they you do have to send out technicians to do that. And when a house has been shut off for quite an, an amount of time, you know, a significant amount of time, there are issues depending on the infrastructure, the age of the infrastructure and so forth, in making sure that the water runs a certain amount of time in certain faucets to make sure the water then running through is safe and clean. You know, so it's not just a, matter, a simple matter of turning a tax on if the water has been shut off for a significant amount of time. I think that's right, Mary. Yeah, the lead builds up in the pipes, and so you need to flush your pipes um, to make sure you don't get um, contaminated with lead. I also want to flag that a lot of communities across the country, when the pandemic first started reaching across the United States in March, did suspend water shutoffs and pass local moratoriums. Um, and, And some of them, like Detroit and California, also ordered reconnections. However, these are expiring. Um, Michigan recently expanded the order to the end of the year. California's is indefinite. But in other cities like New Orleans, it could end any minute now. It was technically supposed to end on Monday, so on the, the July 20th. They haven't announced that they're um, going out and shutting off people again yet. So hopefully they'll continue to suspend shutoffs. But across the country, in Jacksonville, Florida, right, right before the GOP convention hits in August, they're beginning to shut off hundreds of people, hundreds of households every day. And Miami and um, a lot of communities across the country, shutoffs are resuming. I mean, people, um, cities are opening up, um, states are opening up, people are sending people back to work. Some states are even talking about sending kids back to school. Um, it's kind of scary. Um, at the same time, the cases are going up so much. People are losing these basic utilities. That's why one of the things we hope to have happen in the next coronavirus relief package that the Senate is debating um, in early August is that we'll pass a nationwide shutoff moratorium. We need to make sure that no one loses water service during a pandemic. It's just outrageous. It's not only about human health. It's about protecting public health. We need everyone to have running water at home so that they can wash their hands, flush their toilets, take care of themselves and their families, but also their communities so that we can help fight this really, really scary virus. I mean, just I mean, just to quickly just mention New Orleans. Um, I mean, as an example, New Orleans was one of the cities that was part of my investigation. And I think if I had to, you know, name the worst city in terms of affordability, New Orleans would be it. Mm-hmm. You know, um, and not only do they shut off an incredibly you know high number of res- um, households um, every year. But um, the bills have gone up, have doubled, um, doubled between 2010 and 2018. And they have, you know, the highest proportion of 
low income and very low income people, um, you know, who are already in neighborhoods with unaffordable bills, you know? And so, I mean, something like 20, almost like 30% or so of the total population of New Orleans already is getting unaffordable, receiving unaffordable mm. bills. Um, and that's going to rise, you know, um, as we go forward. But the thing about New Orleans that really gets me is that the water is also toxic, right? I mean, they are, they get their water from the Mississippi River. They're right at the sort of basin end. So all of that agricultural disgusting sure. runoff from Ohio and all these other places comes to New Orleans. Their water treatment plant is like 80 years old, something like wow. that. You know, I mean, this is, um, I'm, you know, this is like my next sort of city of interest that I'm going to work on. And, and so what residents do is they're forced to buy bottled water because they can't, because the water is not drinkable. So they're technically paying two bills mm -hmm. a month. You know, they're paying this increasingly expensive, increasingly sort of um, um, more expensive water bill if they can, but they're also buying bottled water. So if you're a person on a low income and you've got limited funds, what do you do? Do you buy bottled water so that you can actually live or do you pay for your water bill, which actually you can't even drink that water because it's too toxic? You know, that's the situation. And yeah, and, that, and New Orleans by no means is the only example where people are paying a hell of a lot of money, like up to 12% or more of their income is what their bill is every month. And they're having to buy bottled water because the water is toxic. Uh, and if you enjoy that fact, kids, we've got a wonderful conversation coming out about the microplastics that come from water bottles. Yeah. Anyways. We've been, on a nice. real, we've been on a real water's great kick lately. <laughs> yeah, it's so, so depressing like it really is yeah it's bizarre isn't it that something that is free falls mm -hmm. out of the sky you know um it's in rivers and yet we people can't access clean affordable running water even though it's free to the world to the planet it's a gift it's just insane <laughs> it's crazy um let's talk about uh yeah about private water companies for 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 a minute and and their refusal to to turn over information, which is actually a lot like Netflix, uh, except instead of romantic comedies and, and Chris Hemsworth hostage movies, we're talking about water shutoffs. Um, mm -hmm, mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. I understand, we understand that something like 90% of Americans get their water from a, a public utility. But again, the other 10%, that's still 30 something million Americans. W what do we, what do we know what these, what these, what these rates, these companies charge? And also correct all of our numbers, all please, uh, you know. Yeah, because I think it's a lot, right? I think it's bad. Yeah, so um, so about half of water systems are privately owned, but only about ten percent of people with water service get it from a, a privately owned system. So most how of these that, private how systems does that are work? tiny. As Nina said before, there's fifty thousand water systems across the country, but most of these are super tiny. So private water systems tend to be smaller. They're the smaller systems. Most of our big cities, they're public, like, uh, and that's because during the Progressive Era, we bought and took over our privately owned water systems. There used to be a water company serving um, San Francisco, a private company in San Francisco, a private company in New York City. And these systems, they didn't serve poor people. They didn't extend lines out to poor neighborhoods. It led to a cholera epidemic. They also didn't increase um, pressure enough to fight fires. So there was massive property destruction. So around the turn of the, of the 20th century, the um, in the 19, um, early 1900s, late 1800s, a lot of cities, big cities, bought their water systems from these really bad actors, these private companies. It just wasn't working. And it's interesting, um, particularly in the South, that move to public ownership actually improved water quality and water access 
disproportionately or um, um, much more so for Black populations. Um, in Louisiana, that, that move to public ownership actually led to greater um, water access for Black communities in the South. Um, so there's a lot of really interesting history about um, water ownership in the U.S. But right now, like, like you said, about 10% of people, uh, a small portion, get it from privately owned systems. But in some states, like New Jersey, it's 40% of people. So they're concentrated Whoa. in a couple of states. New Jersey, um, we're seeing a lot of um, privatization activity. The, these companies are pretty aggressive. There's a couple handful of large companies that are super aggressive going after governments that are struggling right now. Not struggling, not um, especially in the pandemic. They're struggling with cash flow issues. Some of these small to medium-sized water authorities, they're just struggling to pay their vendors pay day to day because um, the loss of industrial and commercial revenue. Like businesses aren't operating, so they don't have um, access, so they don't have that money coming in. So yeah, so they're really aggressive in a couple states, and it does lead to significantly higher water rates. Our research has found that on average, private companies charge fifty nine percent more. But even though they're charging more, we would um, we would expect higher rates of shutoffs in these communities. But we just don't have that data. We've requested it multiple times; they just refuse to tell us how many mm-hmm. people they're shutting off. So we don't have basic metrics to gauge how they're doing. Well, that's frustrating. Um, if only there was legislation someone could pass that could help uh, clear all that stuff up. If only. I mean, what, I, I, one thing, I mean, um, just to add to that is that this is a real risk time, isn't it, Mary? Like in terms of, you know, a lot of the smaller water systems are really struggling mm-hmm. right now, you know. And so I do think just to emphasize that, that um, there are... You know, there's been lots of lobbying by the private water company um, um, groups, um, you know, on the hill Mm -hmm. at the moment, you know, trying to, because they are very keen to gobble up um, some of these water systems, these public water systems, you know, um, and make them into profit, you know, profit sort of profitable sort of companies. And that we know from lots of different Mm -hmm. metrics does not, Favor, does not serve the public, the community. You know, it does not result in better quality, quality affordable water, quite the opposite. Mm-hmm. And so I think, you know, that, they, you know, um, it's a really high risk time for those smaller water systems in particular who are struggling, you know, to um, to, to, to pay the bills, sure. to, 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 to maintain the pipe, sure. etc. Well, let's uh, let's move into some action here, since uh, I feel like people have a pretty good idea of the picture and are probably pretty angry. Oh, just uh, crying! So, so let's uh, uh, let's empower them here. Yeah, uh, yeah we we love to um, provide some specific action steps that our listeners can take to support you and support what you're doing. Their voice, their vote, and their dollar. So let's start with with their voice. What what can um, all of us? What big actionable specific questions can we be asking? Of of our uh, of our representatives, our, our government representatives, to help you guys. And you mentioned there's the stimulus bill uh, that's being voted on. I believe you said August seventh. Is that correct? Yeah, sometime before August seventh, um, the Senate okay. should okay. be able to pass the next coronavirus stimulus. We're hopeful. Um, so and now, yeah. Sorry, if you could just detail out for everybody how that's different from the Water Act. So, what would be in the stim- mm-hmm. what will hopefully be in the stimulus bill, and then uh, again, what the story is with the Water Act. Sure. So I would say the top two actions that you can urge your Congress members to take right now for the immediate need, the immediate, we need to keep the water on for everyone. Right now during this pandemic, we need to keep the water on. So call your senator, 
call them. It's, it takes about a minute and it's the easiest and most powerful thing you can do to, um, to reach out to your Senator. They get emails all the time. Calling them is so important and it's quick. It takes about a minute. So calling your Senator, urging them to take action on, um, the next coronavirus relief package to make sure that there's a national moratorium on water shutoffs. We just need this is the first thing you can do is address immediate need. And then longer term, what we need to do and to really reform, transform how we pay for our water is to pass the Water Act. Again, that's HR 1417 S611. So reaching out to your elected official, uh, urging them, your Congress members, urging them to co-sponsor the Water Act, to take action, and to make sure that people have access to safe water. So one, right now, immediately, get out your phone. It's 202-609-9041. That's the Senate switchboard. Again, that's 202-609-9041. You'll be connected with your um, Senate office. You tell them, hi, your name, what zip code you live in, and to say that you're calling to ask the senator to fight to pass a national moratorium on water, power, and broadband shutoffs in the next coronavirus relief package. Just short, sweet, simple. It takes about a minute, and it is awesome. the most effective thing you can do right now to make sure that your senator hears from you. Awesome. Yes. That's great. That's 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 the type of specificity we are looking for. And then uh, I guess maybe after that vote is done, uh, <laughs> tell them uh, t- what specifically should they be saying about the Water Act besides just sp- sign on to the Water Act? Sure. So um, you can visit us at foodandwaterwatch.org and you can take action there. We have an online petition where you can con- reach out and email your senator directly, your um, representative directly. And we're asking them to co-sponsor the Water Act right now. Right now, there's okay. 85 co-sponsors in the House. There's four in the Senate. We just need more and more names. Four? And yeah, oh, come on. <laughs> I know. Wow. So there's definitely room to grow and um, power to build that we need to make sure that we can pass a comprehensive solution that really addresses our access to water in this country. Rock and roll. Um, Nina, anything from your side? I mean, just, to, just, I mean, two things. One, just to note that those, you know, 89 um, lawmakers that are currently, you know, have signed the Water Water Act. They're all Democrats. Not a single Republican has signed. And, you know, water affordability is a nationwide, I wouldn't even call it a crisis. I'd call it an emergency. I feel like it's America's water emergency, you know, in terms of quality, um, safety and affordability, et cetera. And so, I think we really need to, you know, if 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 people, if any of your listeners are in Republican states, you mm-hmm. know, um, to really be and are struggling with water quality, safety, affordability, any of those things, to really urge their, um, you know, their their representatives and their senators to to join this, you know, to to sign up okay. to this bill because I think once one does, you know, something you know, others could, you know, would be more likely to follow. Um, if this is not a bipartisan issue. Um, you know, sorry, a partisan issue. Do you know what I mean, it, it should be something that everybody's concerned mm-hmm. about. I mean, it's crazy that every lawmaker isn't worried about the fact that water is not available, you know, is not is not available to everybody. Um, and I think as a journalist, I would say, I mean, um, as part of our sort of year-long reporting that we're doing on America's water um, crisis, we are do, we have, we've got a call-out, um, which you can find on our website, um, um, you know, asking for help to test water quality quality across the UK um, US. Sorry, um, so people can sort of get into that and help us with that and offer to help us with that. And also, I just think you know, if you are struggling to pay your bill, if you've had your water shut off or you've had liens put onto your house, find your local newspaper, find your le- local media organisation. You know, 
get a local reporter mm-hmm. interested, mm-hmm. you know, and get, you know, you know, we, I ended up getting into this because I saw reporting in local areas, you know, it wasn't, you know, national, national and international sure. press totally rely on local sure. reporting, you know, and so um, find out who's interested, who else, who's someone who's interested in justice issues or environment, environmental issues, ring them, send them an email, get them mm-hmm. interested. And, you know, and that will actually help develop, I think, just more transparency and, and more of a consciousness in terms of this issue. Awesome. That's great. Good news is our local newspapers definitely haven't been devastated here for the past 10 years. So that's going to be a really easy thing to do. <laughs> yeah. Anyways, um, yeah. <clears throat> ladies, what about what can our, what can our uh, listeners do with their dollar to help support this mission? Um, well, there is, there is, um, What's the name of that organization? Is it um, in that came out of Detroit, um, Mary? Human Utility. Yeah, Human Utility is a great organization that actually pays water bills for people in Detroit and Baltimore. So um, you can visit them and then you can set up your payments and they'll um, directly um, provide that relief to those households on the ground. There's also a lot of other organizations, um, grassroots organizations that are doing really great work to address this immediate need. I know of a lot in Detroit right now, like We the People of Detroit, um, Mm -hmm. groups like Michigan Welfare Rights Organization, really doing on the ground work to make sure that people have access to water right and, now yeah and, awesome. and, sorry, and there's also go you know, ahead, like, please. i mean there's um some some amazing um women um in the from the navajo nation months ago set up a relief fund on a like a gofund page gofundme page which has just gone crazy like brilliantly so you know and so other tribal nations also have got similar um you know pages and i think in terms of actually in this immediate crisis helping make sure that Native Americans, like all Americans, have access to to water, you know. So um, when, when if there are stay-at-home orders, mm-hmm. they don't have to break those in order to go and find water. Do you know what I mean? Like, you know, people have access. So I sure. think, um, yeah, they're, 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 they're sort of quite good um, possibilities. Great. Well, we will uh, find those and, and put those in the show notes for sure. Um, those are all super helpful. Thank you guys uh, so so much. Again, the the action is the point. We, we try to piss people off and then point them in the right direction. Okay, last couple questions and we're going to get you guys out of here. I know you got to run. Uh, for each of you, uh, these are a little more philosophical. Uh, when was the first time in your life uh, when you realized you had the power of change or the power to do something meaningful? Oh, God, Mary, you go first. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. I think like a lot of people who care about organizing, who care about grassroots movement, it comes from like the student movement um, and high school and college, really getting together and like sitting in and offices and knowing that you can force people, these people who like should be accountable to you. You can sit in that direct action and call on them to take action. Um, I know at, uh, student organizing days, there were a lot of creative tactics <laughs> that we used that were just really <laughs> fun and energizing. So it not only that direct action, calling on the decision maker to take action, but it was also energizing for the community to take that action. So I think um, that's when I knew that I loved organizing. I loved working with organizers. Well, most of what I do is more policy. I I really love working with organizers and bringing people together to make Mm -hmm. that change that needs to happen. And I think there, I know there's a lot of uh, money interests out there that we're fighting, but I really do believe in the power of bringing people together to make change. I think that we do have a really big voice when we come together and that it's so important that we do come together now in this moment and this emergency and this crisis to make sure that everyone has access to water. 
Um, um, I love that, I'm Nina. Not any of those things that Mary just highlights. <laughs> not, I don't do any of that stuff at all. Yeah, we all have and, our strengths. Uh, I guess I just have always really been driven by um, a desire. You know, when I see an injustice, calling it out. You know, like and um, you know, um, and really mm-hmm. giving a voice to people that don't have a voice, or people who are powerless mm-hmm. because of systems and structures and institutions you know and I very much that's very much what attracted me to mental health I think you know um it was very I Mm -hmm. like my mental health life and my journalist and life have so much in common you know in terms of actually listening to people is so powerful you know I think you know when you travel hundreds of miles to go and sit and talk to somebody and really listen to them you know um, um it's an incredibly powerful thing for people to be heard like we all need to be heard and feel that our stories and our are valuable they're important you know um mr pickett who i mentioned the man in cleveland i mean i think just being heard and realizing that this hadn't just happened to him was incredibly important and I, you know and, I, and so i think sure. that that aspect and also accountability i mean i'm a journalist because i want I want change. You know, I want my journey. I want to tell these stories and hold people in power and organisations and, you know, um, powerful structures to account, you know. And so, yeah, I guess that's what I'm driven by. Uh, well, that's a pretty fantastic answer to me. Uh, again, last couple. Uh, who is someone in your life that has positively impacted your work in the past six months? Mary, you go. <laughs> I'll take him. <laughs> So one of our our board chair is Maude Barlow, and I absolutely love her. She's a water warrior, and I've um, had an um, experience to talk with her more recently, um, just being in communication with her a lot. She really inspires me. She wrote a new book uh, about blue communities and how communities around the world um, globally are fighting against privatization, against the commodification of water and for the human right to water. And so I think she's just a really inspiring person and I love her a lot. <laughs> so I think Maude Barlow for me would be my inspiration within the last six months. <laughs> awesome. That's exactly why we asked this question. Um, you know? I'm, so I'm, 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 I'm going to go back to Mr. Pickett just because his story made me so sure. angry. You know, like I was so enraged and infuriated by it that you know and I met him first week of February so that was like a month or five weeks after I sort of started getting into this investigation and it has powered me through you know like then the pandemic hit and you know I've been you know stuck in my apartment trying to do my job and you know but his sort of um his dignity and his struggle and you know like really like was very motivating because it just made me so angry, you know? Um, and um, so, yeah, I hats off to Mr. Pickett for um, uh, what he's been through and his sort of, um, and his continued um, fight and struggle for justice. Awesome. That's, that works. That works. Okay, last one. The most fun. So, boy, you're lucky. Uh, Is if, it? <laughs> if you could send uh, each of you one book to, to Donald Trump to read or have read to him, what the would dictionary. it be? We've got a, Yes, good, 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 love it. Dictionary, done. <laughs> Into it. Uh, and we, just for context, we have this amazing list of now like 90 recommendations from past guests. They're all up on Bookshop and people can buy them, and et cetera, et cetera. Um, but we've got everything from coloring books to the Constitution, uh, so. <laughs> Mary? Oh, wow. 
don't know. I'd, I'd, would it be helpful for him to read a bio? Not sure. That, I mean, look, you you can go down a rabbit hole on the oh pros and cons God. of this, but ah, <laughs> way to not pass that one off to Mary first. This time, yeah, by the way. Yeah, well done. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, Mary, if you, th- if you think of something, uh, send it to us and we'll, we'll throw it on the list. Okay, great. <laughs> awesome. Guys, uh, where can our listeners follow you online? Um, so um, I'm on, you know, if you, if you type in my name, Nina Lacani at The Guardian, um, you'll come up with my um, profile page. So all the stories I publish for The Guardian are on there. And on Twitter, I'm Excellent. on, um, I'm at Nina Lacani. Instagram, I think I'm Nina Lacani News. Excellent. Awesome. Visit us at foodandwaterwatch.org. That's foodandwaterwatch.org. And I'm on Twitter at Mary Grant underscore water. <laughs> so sad. Awesome. Easy enough. <laughs> uh, well, listen, uh, we, we cannot thank you enough for your time today, least of all, but also um, for, for all the work you guys are doing for all the folks who are just trying to get, just, just trying to have water, which, which, uh, which seems like the most basic human right. Um, but we have a lot of things to work on in this country and uh, that's why we're oriented towards action. We wanted to understand this better and you guys have helped uh, do that for us and I, and I think uh, a lot of our listeners too. So we're excited to send them out in the streets to cause some good trouble. So thank you again. Uh, thank you for your time. So and much. Uh, hopefully we can have an update on this at some point in the future and, and uh, show where that work has gone. Thanks very much. Yeah, thank you so much. Thanks to our incredible guest today, and thanks to all of you for tuning in. We hope this episode has made your commute or awesome workout or dishwashing or fucking dog walking late at night that much more pleasant. As a reminder, please subscribe to our free email newsletter at importantnotimportant.com. It is all the news most vital to our survival as a species. And you can follow us all over the internet. You can find us on Twitter at importantnotimp. Just so weird. Also on Facebook and Instagram at Important Not Important, Pinterest and Tumblr, the same thing. So check us out, follow us, share us, like us, you know the deal. And please subscribe to our show wherever you listen to things like this. And if you're really fucking awesome, rate us on Apple Podcasts. Keep the lights on. Thanks. Please. (laughs) And you can find the show notes from today right in your little podcast player and at our website, importantnotimportant.com. Thanks to the very awesome Tim Blaine for our jamming music, to all of you for listening, and finally, most importantly, to our moms for making us. Have a great day. Thanks, guys. Thanks.